find out. But this week, we're going to continue in our um, Family Matters series, and I'm going to get into a, a really challenging subject this morning. The title of this message today is How to Respond to the Cultural Sexual Shift that's going on in our nation today. Uh, so this is what we're going to be looking at today. Uh, it's really not a whole lot of sensitive information here today. I'm going to make sure and look around. There's not anything that your children would not be able to hear. And in fact, I think it's very important because I'm really going to be specifically speaking for the children and teenagers today. Those of you who are that age need to stay in here as much as possible and not slip out and go to the fellowship hall and go to the bathrooms and all that. If you need to go to the bathroom, now would be the time to go or before church starts uh, would be a great idea too. Of course, that's already passed, but I would encourage you to stay in here. And parents, please don't let your children slip out today, and let's all stay in here today and listen to what the Lord would have us to um, receive this morning. Father, we thank you today for your presence here in this place. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd open up our hearts to receive this from you, this word that's going to help us, equip us, challenge us even in some ways, uh, and really clarify some things for us in our walk in this current culture that we're living in, this, uh, this very unusual and perverted time that we're living in. It's, it's unprecedented in so many ways, at least in this nation for this time. So we thank you, Lord, for helping us in so many ways to direct us uh, and to equip us and to guide us, to help us to navigate through this uh, based on what your word says. And that's what that's all about. It's all about your word. It's a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path. It's to help us, to help us to walk successfully for your glory. So we thank you in advance for what you're going to do here today. And everybody said in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as you've been hearing over the last several weeks, we live in an age of great deception. Um, the spirit of Antichrist is a spirit of great deception, and we know that that's going to be the first uh, uh, punishment or the first seal that's going to be broken as, uh, as after the rapture takes place and these things are going to start uh, pouring out upon uh, on, on those that are left behind. The first one is the spirit of Antichrist, but the, the, the spirit is already here. That spirit of deception is already here. It's going to be pronounced after the rapture. Uh, so you can imagine what it's going to be like after as compared to what it is now. I mean, now it's already here. Uh, Jesus warned us that just before his return, there's going to be a great deception unleashed upon an unsuspecting and gullible generation. Outside the church, as well as inside the church, this uh, deception is going to take place. Listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew 24, 24. He says, For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So we can't, we can't think that we're exempt from this. We are not. Uh, this, this whole deception that's been taking place is not new to our generation. In fact, it's been around since the very beginning, since the creation of man, uh, Satan has done nothing but perfect this spirit of deception from generation, generation, from generation to generation, starting with Adam and Eve and up to even where we are today. Satan knows humanity very well. See, we've only been around one cycle around this. Satan has been around multiple generations, and so he's perfecting his wares and his tactics towards us. He knows what works, and he's got, you can rest assured, he's got you and me in his crosshairs. And this is how he does it. So listen to this. I'm gonna, this is a setup going into what we're going to be sharing this morning. Uh, and by the way, believers are not the exception to the rule. Believers, uh, we as the very elect, are his primary targets. Know that. But this is how he does it. He's going to plant, so write this down if you're taking notes. He's going to plant thoughts of doubt in your mind. That's what he does. He plants thoughts of doubt. This is how he deceives. This is his process. Know this. He says, did God really say that? Did God really mean that? He's going to plant thoughts of doubt. Listen to this in Genesis 3.1 with the very first man and woman that God created, Adam and Eve. This is a conversation that Satan had with Adam and Eve. Now the serpent, in verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And then he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? So there's a little bit of a doubt there. Plants a seed of a doubt. Did God really say that? 
Okay? So then what he's going to do is the next step, he's going to suggest alternatives that seem right and seem reasonable. So he puts a doubt, and then he suggests alternatives. He kind of tweaks it a little bit. Listen, in verse 2 through 5, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees of the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. He said, you will certainly not die. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. There's the alternative. There's the suggestion. There's the sort of hint that seems right. When you eat from, the, eat from it, uh, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So it's like, hmm, well, okay, God didn't say that, so there's a little bit of confusion, a little bit of a doubt. Here's an alternative. Here's the next thing that he does. If he succeeds in putting that doubt in you and suggesting the alternative and you go for it, you bite it. If he succeeds in deceiving you, then he's going to create confusion. And that's the last step. Genesis 3 verses 6 through 7 says, when the woman saw from the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. Uh, people blame Eve for this and say if it wasn't for the woman eating the apple, but here's the next, the next listen to this. She also gave some to her husband who was right there with her. I mean, standing right there watching the whole thing, listening to the whole thing. He didn't say a word. Come on, guys. He was just as much to blame. And he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked. And so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So here's the end result. The end result's going to be division. Division from what was, con from what was once considered true wholesome, holy, right, and righteous. And most importantly, division from a relationship with God himself. And that's what we just actually commemorated today and celebrated and remembered that Jesus came to restore us back to right relationship to God the Father through his finished work on the cross. Genesis 3.8 says this, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden of the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord among uh, trees of, of the garden. So there's that division. And that's what we've been doing ever since. We hide from God. We, we don't want Him to know the stuff that we're doing and saying and the ways that we're being. We're ashamed. We're, we're divided. And I can hear Satan saying at that point, back in that garden situation, well, that worked pretty good. I think I'll try it again. And he has. Over and over and over again until today, he deceives, he confuses, and he divides. He divides us from God, and he divides us from one another. And we're seeing that happen today, aren't we? Proverbs 14, 12 says this. There's a way that appears to be right to you, teenager, to you, adult. There's a way that appears to be right to you. But in the end, I promise you, it's going to lead to death. Satan is out to steal, kill, and destroy you Mark my words, he has you in his crosshairs, and you're not an exception to any rule. We must be on guard against the spirit of deception in our world today. And today, I want us to focus on how Satan is working to deceive us in the area of sexuality, especially with our children and our young people. We can see clearly how Satan is successfully deceiving and confusing and dividing us in this area. But there is a remedy today. And we do have a hope today. We're not without hope and not without a way to navigate through this. And that's what I want us to do. I don't want us to curse the darkness. You know, you've heard a lot of leaders and famous leaders in history that have said phrases such as, uh, let's not curse the darkness, let's light a candle, for example. So I'm not here today to curse the darkness. We can talk about all the problems that are out there. We know full well what trouble that we're in. We know the wickedness that is surrounding us today. We know what's going on with our kids and our youth, our young people, our teenagers in our homes, our grandchildren. We know what's going on. And I'm not here to talk about how awful people are. People's actions are absolutely awful. The things that are going on are awful. But we, as I've said before, we've got to be careful not to objectify people. People are not things. People are not objects. People are precious souls for which Jesus died. People that are walking around in this sexual deception and lifestyle, Jesus loves them. Jesus died for them. 
Jesus cares for them. Jesus wants to save them. These precious people are simply walking in darkness. They've been deceived. They're confused. They've embraced a lie and it's divided them from God and everything that has to do with God. Truth, holiness, all of those things. Isaiah 9-2 says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light, and those living in the land of deep darkness, a light is dawned. I trust that all today, here in this building, and listening to me today, that we are no longer walking in the darkness of our sin. But we've embraced the light that God has provided for us. You see, I'm here today to shine the light of the truth of Jesus Christ. I'm here to point people to Jesus Christ today. Proverbs 4, 18 through 19 says, The path of the righteous is like the morning sun, shining ever brighter till the full light of day. But the way of the wicked is like deep darkness, and they don't know what makes them stumble. I love this. Jesus is the light that God has provided for us. Do you realize that today? We live in great darkness, but Jesus is the light of the world. As we follow Jesus, we're going to be less prone to stumble and lose our way. But if you don't follow Jesus, I guarantee you, you will stumble and fall flat on your face time and time again. And the only remedy to that, and go ahead and try it. Go ahead and try those paths of darkness and see where it leads you. It'll mess you up, won't it? But God wants to bring you to a place of walking in the light of Christ. Jesus said this in John 8, 12 of himself. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I'm here to tell you today, if you don't walk in the light of Jesus, you will stumble, you will fall, you will fail every single time. Let Jesus be your light that lives inside of you and guides your way. Young people, are you listening to me today? I'm speaking to you, teenagers. I'm speaking to you, young people. I'm speaking to you, grown-ups, as well. Be wise. Follow Jesus. Let him be your light. So today, we can say amen, and we can amen ourselves into this frothy foam of righteous indignation and say, all oh, those people out there, they're just perverted, and they're sick, and they're going to hell. That's not God's love. That's not what we need to be doing. We can feel pretty good about that we're in this winning side and Jesus, and we know that Jesus is getting ready to make all things new again, and we just leave it at that. We'll walk, away, walk out of here thinking that we got it all together. That's not God's heart. That's not the heart of Christ at all. God help us for our righteous pride that things were somehow superior. We are not. We're all sinners saved by grace. At the foot of the cross, thank God for his mercy that gave us Jesus Christ. But is that really all that God has called us to do is just to curse the darkness and to walk around all righteous and holy and not make a difference? Are we just to sit back in our amen corners and, and just wait for this, this the cavalry to, to come rescue us out of this mess? Oh, Jesus, even so come, Lord Jesus. Or are we supposed to do something? Or are we supposed to do something? The answer is we're supposed to do something. Luke 19 Verses 12 and 13, Jesus is setting up this parable. I'm just going to catch the first couple of verses of it. A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. He's talking about himself. So he called ten of his servants, that's us, and he gave them three months' wages. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. So here's what he's saying to us. I'm going to heaven, I'm coming back. Meantime, I've got something for you to do. I'm giving you some responsibility to steward well. Not to sit back, not to do your own thing, not to spend it on your own gain, but to do this for me. Put this money to work until I come back. And you know, the rest of the parable is some people didn't, some people didn't, and those that did were rewarded, those that didn't were punished. The fact is, church, we have an assignment and a responsibility to occupy until Jesus comes. We are to make a difference. We are to take the resources that he's placed in our care and steward them well for him until he comes back. We're to take the resources he's placed in our care because one day we're going to have to make an account for what we have done and also what we haven't done with that that he's placed in our care.
So I want to encourage you today to listen up. Let's see what the Holy Spirit might ask of you with the resources that God has placed in your care. We're seeing unfold before us an orchestrated attack of the most vulnerable in our society, our children, our young people. It's an unprecedented time. Have you, are you seeing this? It's never happened before. And it seems like it's coming upon us suddenly. Why is there seemingly this sudden increase in pedophiles, in sexual deviants? Why do we have so many amoral or plainly flat-out immoral educators and school administrators, school board leaders, politicians, community leaders, judges? They're all hell-bent on advocating and advancing sexualization of our innocent children. What's going on? They're pushing this perversion into the hearts and to the minds of the most impressionable among us, our children and our youth. Why are too many of these leaders hiding their awful sex education and gender-affirming curricula from the parents of their students? Stripping moms and dads of their rights to determine when and how their children are exposed to sensitive topics in school. What do these groups of evil influencers have to gain? Well, it would seem their ambition is the total breakdown and collapse of the family. As a family goes, a nation goes. As, as the church goes, so a nation goes. Their target is our children. Satan's target is our children. Their goal is social chaos, and Satan is using them to make some great headway, unfortunately. I don't know if you've heard of Kirk Cameron. He's from the Growing Pains fame, TV show from the 80s and 90s. He is a strong Christian who's taking a stand against what he calls the weird, the woke, and the wicked. And instead of standing, instead he's standing for wholesome biblical values. And I commend Kirk Cameron for stewarding well what God has placed in his care to resource for his glory. He's leveraging his fame and his influence for good. And he's been traveling around the nation reading in public libraries over the last several months a new book that he's written that promotes the values that we must instill into our children of the fruit of the Spirit. How many believes that the fruit of the Spirit is a good thing? But how many knows that out in the world today, it's just the opposite? There wouldn't be many amens and raising of hands outside of these four walls. Let me read to you the few of the spirit, fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. This is the book that he's promoting these values. Listen to this. The fruit of the Spirit is love. If anybody has any problems with any of these, just raise your hand, okay? Love, joy, peace, forbearance, which means patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, you would think that those things would be celebrated, right? I mean, that's a great list. Who would want all of our children to be, the, to be that way, our young people to be the way, to have those attributes? A book that he's written that he's promoting these things, the fruit of the Holy Spirit of Christ in us. It's a wonderful thing. You would think they would be appreciated. I mean, who wouldn't want their children to have these qualities, right? And just a few short years ago, by the way, this wouldn't even have been a point of debate or contention. It's like, yeah, we want our children to have these. That was actually taught in our schools. But instead of gratitude, there's actually been strong opposition and pushback. The same people who are fully supporting and allowing drag queens, which drag queens are men dressed up as looking like over-the-top, freakish-looking women. They allow these drag queens to read sexually suggestive and gender-confusing books in that same library that's promoting the weird and the woke and the sexually deviant lifestyles. They're not allowing him to read that book, but they're allowing them to read those books. And they're strongly opposing a child being kind and loving and good. What is going on here? Right is wrong. Wrong is right. Up is down. Down is up. Left is right. Right is left. It's being turned upside down right before our eyes. To any sane person who has any decency at all. By the way, even people who aren't necessarily Bible-believing, born-again Christians, they would think that this isn't normal. Because it isn't normal. So we've got to look a little bit deeper here from what we can see. Because what we're seeing right now is the fruit of what's going on in the root of the problem. These people are simply the fruit of the root. They're the puppets behind a puppet master. The real orchestrator, the puppet master himself, is Satan, who is using the elites and the leaders of our nation to push woke textbooks 
for kids, uh, for gender-affirming care in our medical establishments. They're allowing men to compete as women in sporting events and using the media to promote an upside-down, right-is-wrong, wrong-is-right morality, and the list goes on and on and on of what's going on. It's part of an overall plan to disrupt, influence, and indoctrinate our children and youth so as to change our country, which will in turn revolutionize our future. Understand this. Satan may be working in every generation, but he is strategically focused on the up-and-coming generation. He knows if he can shape and pervert their still-developing minds, emotions, and morality, he will have a much easier time of it when they are grown up and they're the leaders. Satan is playing the long game here, so let's be wise and aware of his tactics. He knows that community and family disorganization is the first step in community and family reorganization. He knows that if he can discount and undermine the Bible, he can introduce a new upside-down truth to the world's platform. In the words of these social revolutionaries, and I quote, all change means disorganization of the old and organization of the new. So by separating children from what they call the negative influence of parents, quote-unquote, disrupting society's present moral structure and systematically displacing the Judeo-Christian values that our nation was founded upon, Satan is using these people to unleash social chaos and create a void that their new social order will quickly fill with their perverted and even evil religion. Think about it. Satan is doing it well. Deceive, confuse, divide. It's working just as he planned. But now is not the time for giving up, church. Now is not the time for just holding on. God hasn't called us to stick our head in the sand God hasn't called us to just coast into glory. So as we look what's going on around us, especially as it relates to our children and our, and our youth, what can we do to save them? What can we do to equip them, those that God has placed in our care, to steward well these children, these youth, these grandchildren, those that are maybe not even blood relatives, but we have an influence over them in their lives in some way, shape, or form. What can we do to care for them and, 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 and rescue them from this moral kidnapping in our nation, from this cultural hijacking that, that, that is taking place right before our eyes? God's Word gives us clarity. In fact, God's Word gives us all the clarity that we will ever need to counter this deception, this confusion, and this division of our day. So listen to me clearly. We have been called and we have a responsibility before God to train up our children in the ways of the Lord. Do you hear me, church? We have a responsibility. We will answer to this before God one day. He's coming back and he's going to say, what did you do with that three months wages? What did you do with those children that I gave you? What did you do with the influence that you had over your grandchildren? What did you do? Proverbs 22.6 says, train up your children in the way that they should go, and even when they're old, they will not turn from it. It's in their hearts. Even if they do walk away and do whatever they're going to do, God's not going to let them go because their word, God's word, is in their hearts. The Holy Spirit is there convicting them of their sin. You may think, well, that's the, I, I raised up my kids, and they're, they're not serving the Lord right now. Don't give up. God is bigger. God is bigger, and he's still working in their lives. He's still drawing them in. He's creating circumstances in their life that's causing them to remember as they, I hear so many times, I got a praying grandma, you know. I got a praying mama. I remember when I was in church, when I was a kid, in Sunday school, in children's church. I remember, and they're going to remember, and God's going to make sure of it. So with that said, let's look at, I want us to, write, I want us to take some notes here today. There's seven. I'm going to go, these, go through these as quickly as possible. It's going to take probably a little bit longer at 1130, so you guys hang in there with me, okay? There's seven practical and obvious things that God's Word instructs us to do that I trust is going to be helpful in our interaction with our children and our grandchildren and those that we have influence over and can speak into their lives. As we embrace this responsibility given to us by God to train up our children in the ways 
of Christ and give them the spiritual tools and the spiritual weapons that they need to be more than overcomers in a perverse and wicked generation. Do you realize that your children and your youth can and will be more than overcomers as you do, uh, as you, as you, as you present the Lord to them in these ways? Let's just go over this list here. This first one is this. Write this down. Build your faith in everyday moments. That's going to be up there for a few seconds to let you write that down. Build your faith in everyday moments. Listen to this scripture in Deuteronomy 6-7. It's a familiar scripture. It says, impress God's ways on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home the things of God, and when you walk along the road, the things of God, and when you lie down, the things of God, and when you get up, the things of God. In other words, everyday moments throughout the day, there's these God moments. There's these God moments. There's these God moments. We have opportunities every single day to bring things back around to God, to his love, to his plan, to his power, to his goodness to his strength. We have countless opportunities to point our children to God. In nature, as we're just driving down the road, as we're sitting at a park, as we're watching some birds fly, or we're hearing, hearing the, the wind blow through the leaves, and, and we see the water, the, the waves coming in on the shore, there's always ways in nature that you can point out the goodness and the beauty and the glory of God. In events that take place, whatever it may be, you can always point people back, your children back to God. In circumstances, there's always a way. The Holy Spirit can help you to always have these moments, these God moments. Instead of, you know, what happens, I think, too, is we, we allow things to default to a world-centric home atmosphere. Well, that's just the way it goes. That's just the way. That's just, we just let the world come on in. Folks, let's be proactive. When things happen, circumstances and situations and opportunities, instead of letting the world influence, turn it around and say, let me tell you something about God in this situation. And bring God into your daily occurrences, in your waking up, in your going down, in your walking the path, when you're eating and when you... Everything. Bring God into it. Bring your faith into life into the life of your children. Instead of it being a world-centric home, how about intentionally making things more God-centric in your home? How about that? You got to make the effort to do that because our flesh naturally just falls back into world-centric or our laziness just falls back into world-centric. We're just kind of just content with it. We've got to be proactive and be intentional and say, Lord, show me what this looks like and how can I bring you into this situation? I know that the Holy Spirit will help you to see things through God's eyes if you ask him. And then he'll help you to convey that to your children. They're there everywhere. They're there always. We have opportunities if we'll simply look for them and take the time to place them front and center. So bring your faith into everyday moments. Let your children see that Jesus is not just one thing. He is the only thing. He is the foundation. Two, Bring every matter back to the condition of their heart. Bring every matter back to their heart. The condition of their heart. What's going on? You see, when, when your children are acting selfishly, when your children say unkind words, when your children choose to be disobedient, don't just punish them for their consequences. Don't yell back at them and say, you shouldn't have done that. What? Two-week suspension. I'm going to take your video games away. No. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. I'll say that again. Above all else, guard your heart for most everything. For some things. No, for everything you do flows from it. Something going on with your heart today. Too often we just live in the heat of the moment, don't we, parents? And we punish the actions of our children without ever considering there are hearts in it. Help your kid to understand the root of the fruit. Why it is that you're being ugly. Why it is that you're saying unkind things. Why is it you're being selfish or whatever the case may be. Those are perfect opportunities when you see your child do what they're doing. 
to teach your children and youth how to develop a Christ-like, holy, pure, and righteous heart for God. In other words, the fruit of the Spirit. And by the way, some of you young people may be sitting here saying today, yeah, well, <laughs> that may be good for you, but my parents have a long way to go to learn that too. Fair enough. But all of us need to guard our hearts, don't we? And here's the other thing, parents. If you slip up, if you say something ugly, if you lose your temper, if you do something that you know you shouldn't have done, it's against God's word, and you'll be a bad witness to your child, go ahead and apologize to him and say, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry. I, I'm still working, and I'm still learning. I'm still growing in the Lord, too. That'll also make a huge statement to your kids. You know? They're going to see that, it's all, that, that you make mistakes. You're not speaking from, in other words, you're not speaking from a, from a posture of perfection down to them. You're actually walking alongside them saying, okay, we're going to do this together. I'm going to mess up. You're going to mess up. But together, let's, let's identify what's going on in our hearts, and let's grow together to be like Christ. That's some good advice right there. That's some good stuff right there, isn't it? I, I, that's, some good, that's, that's really good, Pastor Brian. That is so good. I needed to hear it. Thank you. I needed to hear that. Yeah. Number three, model a relationship with Jesus. Model a relationship, which some of you are not taking notes that need to be taking notes. I'm just looking around right now saying, you guys just sitting there with your arms crossed, and you're sitting there going, yeah, okay, that's good. You know, when I put this together, by the way, I, I pray, God, you know who's going to be here, and you know what they need to hear. And I tell you, you're going to remember a whole lot more that you write down. You just listen here and just amen this thing and kind of doze off halfway. I mean, why are you here? I'm here to equip you. The Holy Spirit's here to equip you. And I'm willing to start all over again if I have to go to number one, if you want to get a pen and a paper out, because this is important stuff. Your children's souls are hanging in the balance. All right. I'm getting, I'm getting, I'm getting fleshly and angry now. I'm just going to just let it go. All right. Lord, this is in your hands. Model a life of relationship with Jesus. Titus 2.7 says this. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity and seriousness. Now, a lot of times people will read that scripture and say, well, that's for a pastor and ministry. No, that's for us. That's for parents and grandparents. That's for all of us. We need to set an example by doing what is good with our coworkers, with our neighbors, with total strangers, with everybody. In everything we do, set them an example by doing what is good. Model a life of relationship with Jesus. You know, there's an old adage that says, don't do as I do, do as I say. <laughs> that does not work with kids. In fact, that's an awful adage. Do what I do, not what I say. Your kids are going to parrot what you say. Your, your kids are going to mimic what you do. You know that, right? So let's make sure that we model godly integrity for them. Don't walk around and say, well, I don't know where they got that from. <laughs> you sure do. They got it from you. You know it. I mean, you know it. You're walking away going, man, I, just, I act the same way. I've seen that with our kids. You know, the, all the good stuff they are, are from Kelly, but all the bad stuff is from me, I promise you. And I tell you what, I, I look at that and I think, wow, that's me. And I'm not sure I like that. And you know what I'm talking about. They're copying you. They're, you're modeling for them. Do you like how you're modeling it? What words, let me just get a little deeper here. Let me get more specific. What words are you saying in front of them that aren't Christ-like? Do you curse? Do you say swear words? Do you curse at them? Do you curse in front of them about somebody else? I mean, do you use swear words? You know, those four-letter words. Do you, does, that, does that take place in your house? It shouldn't. You shouldn't be swearing. There's a multitude of words that you can use, Right? The English language has just tens of thousands of words. Why do you choose those hateful words, those swear words, those words that are awful examples? Why do you do that? You're modeling for your kids something awful. God, forgive us for swearing. Take our tongues and help us to stop swearing. Right? Stop swearing. Please. Do you gossip? Do you talk about people in front of your kids? 
Do you complain all the time? Do you backbite? Do you belittle in front of your kids? You're modeling that for them. Are you hateful? Are you unkind? Are you harsh? Are you inconsiderate? Are you one way at home but another way here at church, amening me all the way and then turn around, get in the car and just fussing at somebody? It's a hypocrite. Kids are watching. What actions do you take that aren't Christ-like? What choices are you making in your life that aren't Christ-like? What places are you going that are modeling bad uh, examples for your kids? What shows are you watching on TV that are not Christ-like? What's the music that you listen to? How about how do you handle your finances? The kids are watching that too. How do you treat others? It's important that we watch all the things that we do and say that we're modeling for our kids, they're little sponges, and they're soaking up what we're pouring out. So be careful what you're pouring out. Model Jesus in all that you say, that you, and, all that you say and do. You're not going to be perfect in it, but man, strive towards it. Four, pray with your children. Pray with your children. Luke 18.1 says this, then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. There's a lot of emphatics in this list, by the way. It's not sometimes pray, most of the time pray. It's always pray. Always pray. Do you imagine that if you prayed with your children now that they would remember it when they grow up? I'm just going to say something here, too, and I'm not going to call it any names, but I was in the breakfast there just a little bit ago, just happened to have a few minutes, and I went in there and got me a half of a blueberry muffin, I confess, it had blueberries in it, so it's got to be healthy, right? But I watched, I, watched a, I watched a family come in that had children, and the oldest child sat down, and I just was watching, and that child, without anybody being there, parent went around, nobody was there, that child bowed their head and gave thanks for that breakfast item that they were about ready to eat. Just a few moments, and then ate it. And I thought, they're doing good. The parents are doing good. Yeah, I, I just got to say good job, parents, for that. That was a sweet image there. And, it, and, it, and, it thought, and I thought, wow, that's, that's kind of, I'm going to make that part of my, include my message here today. But as you pray with your children now, I promise you they're going to remember it as they grow up. Pray over your meals. Do you pray over your meals? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's an important, serious thing that we pray over our meals. And, and, and have your kids bow their heads and respectfully be quiet and pray. Don't eat your food. Don't make faces. Don't act like you're falling asleep. Don't throw food at your other siblings. Be in charge, parents. Don't let it be their choice. Pray over your food. Give thanks to the Lord for the provision of your food. Pray before you go to bed. Now I lay me down to sleep, you know. Nothing wrong with those prayers. It gets us in the habit. Pray with them. Make sure it's a priority. Did you brush your teeth? Did you comb your hair? Did you, do the, did, did you pray? Should be part of that as well. Pray in times of struggle. If you're going through a difficult time, don't let people, oh, we better call, you know, 911 or we better call Oprah. How about calling the name of the Lord during times of trouble? Let the first thing, is your default, we need to pray about that. Is that your default with your kids? Are you modeling that for them? Pray in times of joy. How about the times where you're celebrating? Man, we got this blessing, this wonderful thing happened. Jesus, we just want to thank you. For what you've done for us, how you've blessed us, you've made provision. I got that contract. I got that job. I got that award. I got that blessing. This is good. Jesus, we thank you. This is not luck. This is not because something I did. It's because of God's favor on my life. And the kids need to hear that, see that, model it for them. Show your kids prayer is not just uh, something you do once in a while, but it's a lifestyle. It, prayer is vital. Prayer is daily. And prayer should be non-negotiable. Satan doesn't want us to pray because he knows the power in it. And he certainly doesn't want us to raise up prayer warriors. But I just got to see who cares what Satan wants, right? Let's prioritize praying together with our children. Amen? All right. I can't do this for you. Five, read God's word with your children. 
You know, your kids spend countless hours on smart tablets and video games and watching TV. You may say, well, I don't have time. Yeah, you do. You do have time to read God's Word together. How about taking a few moments and, and, and putting those tablets and TVs and other sorts of video games aside, and let's read an age-appropriate version of God's Word, even if it's just for a few minutes, and letting your children fall in love with God's precious and powerful stories. Let their little imaginations come alive. Let the Holy Spirit speak to their hearts at that young age. Third, uh, uh, third John 1 through 4 says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. How will they know what the truth is unless you expose it to them? How will, you, how will they know what God's word is unless you prioritize it for them? As I've said before, you are what you eat. And if all they're playing is Minecraft, and watching videos on TV and all the sewage that's out there, they're just pouring it in. What do you expect? How your kids are turning out. How about prioritizing God's Word? It can't hurt, but I promise you it'll help. Creating them the habit and discipline of spending time in God's Word. Up to their feet. His word is a light to their path. And you are a wise parent and a loving parent when you prioritize God's word for them. And by the way, it'll also help them to expose the lies of the enemy when they're tempted. That deception, that confusion, and that division that Satan wants to do in your child. As you get God's word ingrained in their hearts, Psalm 119.11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You know, you take God's word as a young person, and when that temptation comes their way, they're going to say, wait a minute, but the Bible says this. That's important when they go off to college. That's important when they're in high school. That's important in middle school. That's important in their elementary school. I mean, anymore, they're going into a war zone, you know? Let's give them the weapons that they need to say, no, that's not what God's Word says, and the Holy Spirit will bring it to their, to their awareness. Number six, worship God together. Oh, well, we do that on Sunday mornings. I'm talking about as a lifestyle, not just as an event. Worship God to let, together. Psalm 66, 4 says, all the earth bows down to you. They sing praise to you. They sing praises to your name. Uh, all, all the time, everybody. There's another emphatic there. All the world. All the time. They sing praises to your name. How, you know, kids love music, don't they? Youth loves music. The world offers their sewage-filled version, and our youths are lapping it up, by the way. There's some nasty stuff out there. Do you know what your kids are listening to? Do you really know what your kids are listening to? You better, because there's a lot of nasty lyrics out there. Parents, listen to me. How about retaking control of those remotes? and those devices in your home? How about prioritizing music that honors God and fills your house with praise and worship to the Most High God? How about it? Your, your kids may go, oh, uh, they're not in charge. You are, all right? You're the parent. They're the children. Don't let the roles reverse. How about playing worship songs in your house? How about giving your kids a worship platform in your house to sing songs of praise to Him? And we were at some people's house not too long ago, and these kids just got up and just started singing praises, and we thought, this is so great. This is great. They're just singing a song of praise, playing the guitar. You know, if you don't play an instrument, that's fine, but if you do, play an instrument. Let them, let them sing along. Create an atmosphere of worship and praise in your home. Lead the way. There's just something about songs that glorify Jesus that resonates in our hearts, isn't there? I can go back to songs. I can't remember a lot of the messages that Pastor Branson preached, but I can sure remember all the songs that we used to sing back in the day, you know? All those songs from back in the day, you don't talk about They just come up, don't they? Music is a gift from God, people. It's a wonderful vehicle to bring us into God's presence. And children and youth are so innocent in their expression and joyfulness to praise. We just saw little Nazareth sing that sweet little song. That's just warm your heart. Wasn't that precious? Can you imagine how Jesus feels? He was like, oh, oh, bring me more of that. It's an innocent heart, and he wants us to have that innocent heart towards him. Give place to your kids, to your grandkids, to worship Jesus. Yeah. 
through the vehicle of music, give them that opportunity, and then also model it for them. Number seven, this is the last one. Teach them to listen to God. Now, I don't want to say all the rest of them are not important, but I would say that this is probably maybe the most important because it feels like all the rest of them help kind of point, almost just like the hub, and the other ones are the spokes. It's like a foundational thing here. Teach them to listen to God. John 10, 27 says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I can't tell you how important it is to teach your children how to listen to God. There's a voice. There's a frequency. There's a stillness. There's a, there's a certain type. You know, when you're in a crowded room, you're going to hear your, a baby cry. You know it's your baby? It's that certain sort of thing. You just know it's God's voice. You can recognize that voice as you spend time with him. You can recognize that voice as you spend time in his word, as you spend time worshiping him, as you spend time praying together. You hear that voice. All these things point back that we've been talking about to this one thing. There's a lot of loud voices out there yelling their wicked beliefs. Come this way. Give this a try. Hey, how about over here? Have you noticed lately, by the way, how these weird and woke and wicked people resort to just loud shouting and noise making? If anyone speaks God's truth, tries to talk at all, they just shout them down. They don't have anything substantial to say, so they just make a bunch of noise and shout the truth down. But I'm here to tell you today that truth can't be drowned out no matter how loud it is tried to be shouted down. Because truth is truth no matter what. By the way, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and Jesus will never be shouted down. And the truth will eventually prevail because Jesus will not only one day finally and completely prevail, but my Bible says that he's already overcome the world, so truth wins. But in the meantime, it's so important to teach our children to listen to God. I can't emphasize that enough. God's voice is a fine-tuned frequency amidst the static and the white noise of the world. His is a still, small voice in a world shouting for their attention. God's voice, God's Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, will help guide your children through the minefields of deception that they will and are inevitably facing in their lives. Teach them now. In fact, ask questions like, what do you think God is saying about this? It's a good question to ask your children. What do you think God is saying about this? When I graduate, I want to move off and go to college and, you know, party up. What do you think God's saying about this? Well, when I, when I, whatever decision that they make, what do you think God is saying about this? Let them, bring them back to what God's voice is all about. Let them know that they can hear God's voice. They can hear God's voice, again, drawing from prayer, drawing from God's word, that time of worship. It reminds me of a story of Eli and the priest encouraging Samuel, the young boy, to answer, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So we can train our children and youth to hear and obey God's voice. Listen to this in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. It says, a third time the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me? Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy, the boy, the boy, not the grown man, the boy. He was a little child. Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, go and lie down. And if he calls you again, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there calling as the other times, Samuel, Samuel. And then Samuel did what Eli said. The parent instructing the child to say, let me teach you how to listen to God. Let me teach you about the voice of God in your life. And so Samuel simply uh, obeyed what Eli shared with him. And he said, uh, uh, speak for your servant is listening. Oh, that our children would be that way. You know? God told Samuel what he was to do from that point on. Oh, that our children and youth would have that same encounter with God. Encourage it, parents. Encourage it. Oh, that your, oh, that your young person would be set apart to do great exploits in their generation for Jesus. Oh, that you young ladies, and that you young men, and every youth in this place 
would be set apart for God's great exploits. God is calling you, young person, to do something great for Him. And it's a great opportunity and responsibility that you have to say, I'm not going the wide path of destruction, but I'm going to say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears, and I'm going to do what He's called me to do. And that's going to be your best blessed life. Do you want to live your best blessed life, young people? If you do, then follow God's plan for your life. Listen to His voice. It's not only possible, it's not only even probable, in fact, I would say it's inevitable as we and our children yield to His voice. So I close with this. If you're a parent today, if you're a grandparent, if you desire to see wholesome God-honoring values in our community, if you want to salvage this country and its biblical values for your children and grandchildren and those that you have influence over, stop complaining about the culture. Stop complaining. Stop watching the news and being stressed out and anxious about it. That's not helping you. Stop cursing the darkness. Instead, light a candle, beginning with your children, beginning with your grandchildren, or better yet, not just a candle. How about, let's put on the armor of light. His name is Jesus. Let's put on Jesus. Romans 13, 12 says, the night is nearly over, the day is almost here. So let's put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Man, I don't want to be one just a little candle. Imagine this armor from head to toe, and it's just radiating out, glowing, gleaming, the glory and the goodness and the holiness of Jesus Christ. It's time to take a stand against the works of deception and confusion and division that's rampant in our society today. It's time to be brave and start creating the culture that you want for your children. Lead by example. Church, let's love others sincerely. Let's serve God zealously. Let's pray to Him faithfully. Walk before others humbly. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Show your kids and grandkids what genuine faith and moral integrity look like. Strengthen your holy resolve in Christ. Build your faith in those everyday moments. Bring everyday matters back to the condition of their heart. Model for them a vital relationship with Jesus. Pray with them. Read God's word with them. Worship together with them. And help them to hear God's voice. Let your love for your children conquer your fears. Don't step back or stand down. Step up and stand up for Jesus today. Let your children see it. Let them see the intensity of your devotion to God. And it'll be infectious when you do. Not just for your children, but for others that are watching. Use your own home as a safe place to lovingly uproot the power of evil and to grow godliness first with your kids and then others in your neighborhood. Bring them on in. Let's influence them for good. Plant seeds of truth. Plant seeds of goodness. Plant seeds of godliness then water them and watch God bring the increase. Amen? Let's, let's, let's pray up. Let's speak up. Let's get into the fight. Let's understand that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against spirits and principalities and forces of darkness in high places in the spiritual realms. Yes, our battle is in prayer. But guys, folks, we need to put some legs on these prayers sometimes. Parents and grandchildren, go to your school board meetings. How about run for a spot on the school board, huh? How about let's influence some policy for crying out loud. Let's preserve and protect the Judeo-Christian foundations our country was founded upon. You pay your taxes. You better pay your taxes. You pay your taxes. You have a right to speak out. Use your voice for the glory of God. Don't be shouted down. And by the way, don't assume that our community is safe. We must stay vigilant because the enemy is sneaky. He's roaming like a lion seeking whom he may devour. So embrace your children. If they're still under the roof of your house, love on them. If they're not, love on them. But you've got some great opportunity here, and it's not too late. It's not too late. It's not too late. Watch over them. Guard their hearts. Guide their hearts. Gift their hearts. 
guard their hearts against the lies of this weird and woke and wicked generation. Guide their hearts into the paths of righteousness in a relationship with Jesus Christ and gift their hearts by speaking over them God's plans, God's purposes, and God's destiny in their lives. Amen? So just as one little candle can light up a whole dark room so you and your child can make a difference in their dark and perverse generation. Folks, today our enemy is not drag queens. Our enemy is not gender-confused people, the woke, the weird, the wicked people. Our enemy is Satan. He's working to deceive and to confuse and to divide us. His ultimate goal is to get us away from God. He wants us to go to hell. He hates you because you're made in the image of God. And that's why he wants to mutilate you. If he can't kill you in the womb, he's going to try to morph you and mutilate you into something that's totally unrecognizable from God's original creation. God made a man, God made a woman, and there's nothing else there, and he makes no mistakes. So don't be a fool. Don't let Satan trick and fool you. He steals and kills and destroys. But Jesus comes that we might have life and have it to the full, and he has a great full life prepared for you. Romans chapter 2, verses 6 through 11 says, God will repay each person according to what they've done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he'll give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first to the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. Folks, let's do good. Let's do good. I want us to all stand this morning, and um, for those of you at home, this is for you as well. If you have a child or a grandchild or somebody that's a youth or a child that you have influence over in some way, I want to invite you to come up. And if your child's with you, bring them up as well. And I want us to pray over our opportunities and stewardship and responsibility for those children. If you have a child, a youth, whether they're living at home or not, or you have influence over a child or a youth, and you feel the Lord tugging at your heart, I want you to come up and pray with me right now. And you, as, as, you, as these names of these people are coming up, you know, in your heart, you know who they are. I want you to call out their names. Okay? So we're going to pray together right now. And I want you to call out their names. I can't call out their names. You know who they are. Father God, we have a responsibility, an opportunity, and a privilege to steward well these children, these youth, these these young people that you've placed in our care or that we have influence over and we call out their names right now to you. Specifically, go ahead, call them out right now. Father, here they are. Here's these precious young people. Lord Jesus, Kelly and I, we call out Jack, Piper, Wyatt, Eloise. Lord, you know all of our grandkids, Lord Jesus. We pray for Mills and for Greta. We call out these names of these precious people, these precious little babies. Lord, for Cameron and for Braden, our sons. And we'll go ahead and call out their names. Just call them out. Call them out to the Lord right now. These, those that he's specifically placed in your care. Now, now, Lord, we place these young people under your protection. If we've not dedicated these children to this point, we do right now. We dedicate them to you, Lord Jesus. Watch over them. Protect their hearts. Let their hearts be shaped and molded to the things of you, Lord Jesus. Let them love you. Let them serve you. Let them be totally 
dedicated to you, not looking to the left or to the right, not giving in to the temptations of the, uh, of the enemy, not being fooled, deceived, confused. We pray against confusion. We pray against the plans of the enemy in their lives. Lord Jesus, may your plans and purposes be accomplished in their lives. We call out our children and grandchildren to you right now. We lay them at your feet. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're watching over them. Cover them with your blood right now, Lord Jesus. Cover them with your blood. Speak to them, Holy Spirit. Develop in them a heart for Christ. Lord God, let them repent of their sins. If they've already moved out, if they're going to college somewhere, if they've grown up and had kids of their own and they're running away from you, God, they're still our children and we still call out their names to you, Lord God. There is no hopeless cases. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for watching over our children. Father, we claim their souls for your kingdom, whether they've confessed you as Lord and Savior or not. Lord, we in faith believe, we know we're praying in your will when we pray that they would love you and serve you and be saved. Because your word says that it's your will that all would be saved. So we're praying in your will when we pray salvation over our children, our youth, our grown kids, our grandkids, and everybody that's under our influence, and that we have some way to speak into their lives. Now, Father, I also pray for every parent here that feels like that they've failed, that they've messed up, that they're not measuring up, that they've really botched this thing. Lord God, there is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. We, we reject that, that condemnation at this point. But Lord, I thank you that there's nothing we can do about the past, but there's everything that we can do going forward. So help us, Lord God, to model authentic relationship with you. Lord, that we would walk in faith together with our children, that we would confess when we mess up, that we, they would, that we would all grow together. Maybe we had a bad uh, example growing up, and we really don't know how to do this, but you do. Our Heavenly Father, our Heavenly Father can help us. We're your children. You can show us what it looks like through your word, through your spirit, through, through help others, uh, uh, us helping one another along. Father, I thank you for the body of Christ that encourages us. So God, help us to be here for one another, to speak into one another's life, that we won't walk around in, in uh, uh, condemnation, failure. Nah, Lord, that's not coming from you at all. You're not making us feel bad. That's the enemy trying to make us feel bad. Father, we thank you that you're here to help us, to help us to do well going forward. So Lord, we thank you not only for the kids, the youth, grandkids, all of those, but Lord, for us as well. The whole water under the bridge stuff. Nothing we can do about it. But Lord, I pray that you redeem our past. And Lord, take the stuff that we've messed up on and bring some good out of it. Take some stuff that we could have done better on and bring some good out of it. Help us, Lord Jesus, to, to love our kids as you love us unconditionally. With a pure heart. Help us to just love our kids, to be patient with our kids, to do what we need to do, Lord God, to model the fruit of the Spirit for our kids, to pray with our kids, sing with our kids, worship with our kids, read God's, your word with our kids, do life together with you in our homes, in our cars, in the restaurants, as we shop, as we walk, as we talk, as we lay our heads to bed, as we wake up in the morning and everything in between all throughout the day. And we dedicate our children to you, Lord Jesus. Lord, that they would navigate through all of this deception and confusion and division that Satan is pouring out unlike and unprecedented, unlike any other time it feels like in the history of the world. We are experiencing this onslaught. But your word says that where Satan would try to prevail, God, you are going to all the more prevail. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you're raising up a standard against the enemy. Your word says that greater is he that, that is in us than he that's in the world. We're not going to be overcome by evil, but we're going to have evil overcome with good. So, Father, we can be salt and light. We can and we will make a difference in our community, starting with our home life, going out to the schools and the different workplaces and all that. And not just here in this community, but wherever our children and our grandchildren are living right now god we dispatch your holy spirit to do the same thing in those households 
And Father, we thank you for that we can talk on the phone and do FaceTime and all that where we can still do life together with people as they want to and just 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 model for them. Just 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 bring Jesus into the equation, into the conversations without preachy. But just be let, let you just, just let you be real in our lives and then and then we can influence other people for your goodness and your glory. So Father, we thank you. And Lord, I pray specifically for the young people that are here right now. If there's any young people here that are like, you know, teenagers or kids, you see someone standing around, just go ahead and just lay some, lay some hands on these kids. You guys get ready to get prayed for, so get ready, all right? All right, there's some right over here. And also, is Alice here? There's right there, there's one. There, these two young ladies right here. Yeah, all these young people right here. Yeah, make sure, make, there you go, right there. Okay. I want you to start praying. You need to come up here. Yeah, go back there and pray. Shane, Shane, could you pray for her back there? Could you go? She, she's sitting right there. She's not moving up here. We're going to pray for you anyway. That's all right. We're going to pray for you. Jesus, we thank you. As we lay hands on these young people. God, protect them. God, revive their hearts for you. Renew their hearts for you. Make them have a heart that's on fire for you, Lord Jesus. God, let them burn with a passion for serving you, red hot no matter what, not looking to the left or to the right. God, I pray for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego people to not bow down to the things of this world, but let them stand for you, Lord Jesus. To not dabble in the things of this world, to not think that they're an exception to the rule, to not think that they can just do what they want and everything's going to be all right. God, that's deception. That's confusion. That's what Satan did in the garden, and he's still doing it today. Father, let us learn from other people's mistakes. We're going to learn enough from our own mistakes. God, I pray for these young people that they would make decisions that are godly and holy and righteous and pure and Christ-like. And let them be the let them bear the armor of God, the light of the armor of God, shining brightly your glory and your goodness as examples. In this dark, dark world. Yeah, they're going to get resistance. Yeah, they're going to get laughed at. Yeah, they're going to be scorned. Yeah, they're going to be ostracized. We see it happen all the time. But I'd rather, Lord God, have you say to these young people, well done, and that they would stand before you one day and say, yeah, I took a lot of hits, but I did it for you, Lord Jesus, than to bow down to the pressures of this world today and just cave in. Father, I pray for strong spiritual backbones in each of our young people, Lord God, that they will be resilient in the, in the face of opposition and stand for you, Lord God, not just in a defensive posture, but to go on the offensive and make a difference for you, Lord Jesus, to be bold in their faith, I pray. Help us all to be that way. But particularly, Lord God, as we lay hands on these young people, raise them up, protect their hearts, and help them to go on the offensive for your glory that they can make a difference for good and for your kingdom. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Can you praise the Lord in this place and just thank him? Yeah, can you give him some words? I mean, a clapping is good, but can you give him some words too? Can you just give him some words of praise? Clapping's great, but words are better. Oh, thank you, Jesus. We rejoice, Lord God. We rejoice, Lord God. We rejoice, Lord God. All right. Amen.